good morning again as parents stream back in from dropping off their children and I recover from getting spit on and cried at. We realize just sometimes we walk in on a Sunday and even if we didn't stand up and dedicate children, you got spit at and cried at today in your, or this week in your job. So kind of joking but somewhat serious. Uh, we've been looking at a series called Relation Slips where we've been talking about the little breakdowns and tensions that happen and are very common in relationships. And today we look at something that could be quite challenging for us, but I think also has the possibility to change our lives if we will really hear what it says. You know, Jesus never anticipated a day when his followers would be perfect in their relationships with each other. In fact, he actually assumes that we will make mistakes in our attitudes and in our actions, and those things will cause tension and problems. So if you've ever caused tension and problems in a relationship, you don't have to raise your hand, or you've ever experienced it, then Jesus is speaking to you and me today. And so the question is, is when that happens, why is it so hard to just confront in healthy, constructive ways? To give feedback to another follower of Christ who has slipped up or messed up. And I think one of the ways that we can answer that, or at least begin, is to hear a story I heard from a friend that I think explains why this is so difficult. So there was a woman who was going on a flight, and so she was at her gate, she was sitting in the chair by the gate, she had a book in hand, she had her handbag, and she had just bought some of those store one like her favorite package of cookies from one of the little airport shops and she barely noticed when this guy sat two chairs away he was traveling and he had a newspaper in hand and there was a seat between them and she kind of glanced down uh, at the cookies the bag of cookies in the seat next to them and so she just kind of pulled them a little closer and then watched the guy who was just reading the paper and then she opened the bag and she took one out and she ate it And then the guy she barely noticed, she absolutely noticed because he reached over, put his hand in the bag, and grabbed a cookie. And this little surge of indignation just radiated through her body. But she didn't want to create a scene, and so she didn't say anything. And and then for the next few minutes, she would eat a cookie, and then he would eat a cookie, and then she would eat a cookie, and then he would eat a cookie. And the anger just started to boil up inside of her. And she, at every cookie he ate, she was not sure exactly what to do until there was just one cookie left. If any of you have Girl Scout cookies, you know, with the little plastic foil, and so they're individually in there, you know when there's one left. It's like I've trained myself to hold the box and go, okay, there's only one left. And she just knew. And this guy, she saw, reached in for the last cookie, snapped it in half, smiled and handed it to her. (laughs) Of which she took and was like, oh, the nerve. She didn't say that, she just thought it, but she did say with total disgust under her breath, but you know, he probably heard, like, oh, it's amazing how some people will act. And then almost immediately the terminal ding, like flight, full of floors, leaving, and he got up, went to the terminal, went over to the gate and got in line. And it's just in, I guess you'd call it a hot mess right now. She was 
She closed her book, opened her handbag, shoved her book in, and right there was the box of cookies, the bag of cookies. Come on now, somebody has had to have a moment like that, right? Like, you think in this moment, the nerve of that person, can you believe this person? And then like five minutes later, or a year later, or maybe five years later, you're like, oh, I was that person. I think it happens all the time in big ways that are sometimes funny and then in big ways that are downright hurtful. I think it happens when men or women gossip to their friends about how their friends gossip about other people. Like, can you believe how much she talks behind the other person's back? It's exactly what you're doing. I think it happens to employees who are irritated with the attitudes or the work ethic of their coworkers. And they, they just really have to admit that they're not much better than themselves. They just might cover it up better. I think it happens to spouses who blame each other for a deteriorating marriage when both people have to admit that they haven't done much to build up the marriage. I think it happens to siblings, best friends, and just about any relationship. Because it's always easier, I think, to see where the other person slips than where I do. So if you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, it'll be on the screen, but you might want to take notes in your Bible. Matthew has just, in these first opening chapters, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's given what is known as the Sermon on the Mountain, where he's talked about the character and the devotion and the attitudes and the relationship that people are supposed to have with God. And then in Matthew 7, he turns, he turns it to talk about the relationships we're supposed to have with each other. And he starts in the first verses with the closest ring of relationship to us. So that would be our friends, our family, our teammates, our coworkers, really anyone that we interact with on a daily or weekly basis. And he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take, help, or let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this is God's word and it's good. It's good if we hear what it wants to say to us today. So let's look. It seems like Jesus is rejecting two ways that we slip, and he's commending a third way, a better way. I mean, his picture of specks or sawdust and planks shows this really comical predisposition for us to be really unaware and naive of where we mess up, but like being hyper alert to where others mess up, which is a problem. It hurts people. It creates distance in our relationship, so much so that I'm like, hmm, I wonder what cartoonists have done to try and illustrate this verse before. So, you know, thanks to Google, like, dude, I think I have something in my eye. Hey, don't worry, I'll help you with it. You know, there you go. And let's do one more at this time. You know, Lego, in case that first one was too graphic. You know, like, these behaviors cause divisions, they create walls that pull us apart because it's clear 
to the other person that we have something in our eye. Jesus may be using exaggeration, but he is using it for the right point. When you have something that big in your eye, really you can't see very well to help someone else. And and what he's doing is he's really calling out this first way that we slip in our relationships. He calls us to hypocrisy or to, to go against hypocrisy. Jesus' followers are not supposed to be hypocrites. If you're taking notes, you might need to write that down. Don't be a hypocrite. Now, sometimes being a hypocrite is humorous, like the cookies that weren't yours. Sometimes it's hurtful, like the friend that you lost because of what you said, like the team you let down because of the example you didn't keep. See, what happens is people see something in someone else and where they screw up, but they're completely blind to where they're doing it in their own lives. And when we do that, We create this rift. We blame it on someone else. And then we wonder why there's a problem in the relationship. In fact, I would say we find it impossible when comparing ourselves to be objective. If you've ever been in youth sports, like the the dad or maybe the mom who's the coach who doesn't see the favoritism that they give to their own child, or the boss that sees a, a proposal from an employee, and it's good, But whatever insecurities they have, they're just completely rejecting it. Oh, do it over again, do it over again, do it over again. They just maybe can't admit that the other person might have a better idea. See, I think part of the problem is that we evaluate others by their actions, but we often evaluate ourselves by our intentions. Do you see what that person did? Well, I meant to do this. And we just don't see that that's a double standard. In fact, we have this fatal tendency to exaggerate the problems or the shortcomings of others and then minimize our own shortcomings. Like I thought this picture just beautifully, you know, there's a nest growing in that plank. So we need to create habits that run far and fast from hypocrisy. So yelling splinter to the person that's in front of us, like the last picture, is probably not the best habit to have. One of the habits that we can do is is to reject hypocrisy. Really, that's not a habit. That's just got to be a decision. If you want to stay away from what Jesus is saying here, you have to say, I'm going to reject this. I am not going to do this, which I realize is like saying, do you see that thing you do? Just stop doing that. Not very helpful unless there's actually ways to do it. So one of the ways that I thought about this is, how about this little phrase? When you accuse, you lose. I mean, that rhymes. It's kind of a quip, but it makes sense. When you accuse someone, you lose. You lose relationship with them. You lose trust with them. You lose closeness with them. When you accuse them, you lose. Now, you can ask questions, especially if you're really seeking to understand. That's a way that you're not creating hypocrisy. But also, when you assume... Um, it spells doom, and maybe that will work, because you, if you want to know how assume works, you can talk to me after. It makes a phrase that's not super appropriate, but assuming is a little bit like accusing. It's just softer, but it's not asking questions. It's thinking you know the answer or the intention behind what someone else is doing. And so when we accuse, we lose. So our first response when seeing a problem in a relationship and thinking that the other person is the problem is that we have to stop and we have to reject 
hypocrisy. Jesus also tells us, though, to avoid the other side of that slip in the very first part of this. When he says, do not judge or you too will be judged, he's telling us to not act as the judge. But I think followers of Christ have completely said, oh, I don't want to be judging, so now they don't ever, ever evaluate anything. In fact, Matthew 7, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, became like the most quoted verse compared to John 3.16 in our culture today. More Christians quote, don't judge or you too will be judged, than for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We're so obsessed now with not wanting to judge another person that I think that's not exactly what Jesus meant. Now, I'll tell you why I think that way. Because one, Jesus in this whole sermon that he's giving in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, he's actually talking about evaluating our own attitudes and our own hearts before ever evaluating someone else. Evaluation takes critique. It takes a sense of judgment. So also, the other thing that I see here is that if we weren't judging, it would be inconsistent with God's, the image, being an image bearer of God. When God created humans, he created them in his image, and in his image, God makes value judgments. He calls his human beings to also make value judgments. And finally, I think when we use our critical powers, uh, or when Jesus used his critical powers, he was using them to discern, to teach, and to help. That's what he calls his followers to do. So the judgment that Jesus was talking against isn't about a court of law or about not doing it. It's about being so harsh and so hypercritical that you're actually condemning someone to hell. That's what he's talking against. And he's saying, those are the people that we are not supposed to be. That's where we slip up when we get so harsh and so hypercritical that essentially we're climbing up into the judgment seat for humanity that only God is supposed to sit in. So if we're not supposed to be hypercritical and harsh as a judge and we're not supposed to be hypocrites, then what does he call us to do? Because I don't want you to walk away thinking, I'm just supposed to reject hypocrisy. I think what he calls us to do is shown in this last verse here, of verse 5. He says, First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will clearly be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you're taking notes, I would say that Christ followers are called to be healers. Has anyone ever gotten a speck of dirt in their eye before? Like maybe you've been at a baseball field and... Or you've just been outside, it's been a windy day, and all of a sudden you get this thing in your eye. It is awful. And often you don't know where it's at, and if you don't have a mirror, you have to walk up to some person that you might not know real well and be like, is there something in my eye? I don't know, look up. I don't know, look down. Um, can you touch it? And I don't like to poke people in the eye, but sometimes they do need help to get that out. It's, it's helping, but it's also bringing healing, because it's not supposed to be there. That's part of the reason your eye is so darn irritated. However big it is, it's not supposed to be there. This is what Jesus is calling us to, to protect 
care, and help one another. Because nobody likes to have a speck of dirt in their eye. Or a splinter. Or a plank. Jesus teaches this again in Matthew 18, when he says, if you're following Christ and someone in your faith community sins against you, what you need to do is you need to go to that person alone. Point out the fault to seek reconciliation. To come back together and not have more and more people be infected or disunified. And if that doesn't work, then bring another, again, to seek reconciliation. It's not to be punitive or to be judging or to kick someone out. It's always in reconciliation. That's consistent in Matthew 18 as it is in Matthew 7. Because the reality is we're all going to slip. That's not an excuse to be like, well, I can't judge because, you know, I make mistakes too. It's not to say anything goes. All the time, Jesus is calling people out for the actions that they're doing. He's just doing it in very loving, very honest, and non-judgmental, but still evaluating ways. So I think if I want to be a good healer, Jesus is saying, I got to get the plank out of my own eye. And if I need help getting the plank out of my own eye, then I better ask for help. So yes, it's good to choose to reject hypocrisy, but rejecting hypocrisy starts with choosing integrity. So integrity is this idea of having attributes of dependability, honesty, and fairness. A car that has integrity will corner at 60 miles an hour around this nice curve and hold together. Uh, a person who has integrity will live and speak their values and then share those values at work, at home, when they're out, and when they're alone. In fact, a person who is alone, you can honestly trust that they will act in honorable ways to those around them consistently. And in fact, Integrity is the foundation that builds trust, which is the foundation that builds friendship. So people who choose integrity start by addressing the issues in their own life. It's, it's about them. It's about their life. It's about their decisions. It's not pointing fingers. It's looking at yourself. Self-evaluation first. And choosing integrity, I think, at minimum, means that we use the same standard that we offer to others for ourselves, for some of us that are so hypercritical of ourselves, that may actually give you grace. So if, if you're that person, I really want you to hear this. Uh, I'm not saying this to sound awesome. Uh, I'm just saying this to sound honest. I have people in my life who say, why don't you give as much grace to yourself as you give to others? So I got to hear that too. But for some of you who tend to go by your intentions and others' actions, what you need to hear is give the same standard to others as you're giving to yourself. Give the same standard to others as you're giving to yourself. That will have integrity. Again, it's not everything goes. It's not saying it's always your fault when a relationship is off or it's always the other person's fault. It means I have to reflect on my life. I have to pray, God, show me where there's planks in my eyes. Show me where I can't see. 
Again, not because I want to see or I don't want to be blind, but because in order, I have to see in order to help someone else. I have to see to live out this command to love God and love others. And it's hard to do. But the Bible over and over and over talks about God's grace and mercy that's always available to us in a time of need. Can we be people who boldly approach God's throne of grace to find our help in time of need? If we do that, we will see and find the healing that we need for our own planks in order to give the healing that others need for their specs. So that might be your prayer today. God, show me where there's planks in my eye. God, show me where there's a speck in my eye. Show me where I can't see. For you, I just want to close this time in asking what relationships in your life would benefit from you choosing integrity and rejecting hypocrisy. Where there's a relationship that could heal or flourish because you're choosing to reject hypocrisy Choose integrity. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe you secretly have this mental list of things that they've done wrong over the last year. And you just wait for those moments where you can give it to them because really, you're, you're just hurting inside. What would it look like for you to throw that list away? What would it look like for you to start treating that person as the way God already sees them. Uh, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe God's bringing to mind an employee or a teammate that you've been harsh with. You find flaws in the presentations they give. Your relationship's not getting better. It's hurting the company's performance. And you're having a hard time admitting where that person is excelling. What does it look like for you to honor that person? Even if you don't agree with everything they do, just honor that person. Uh, in your home, it might be a family member or a sibling. You're trying to live out this faith in Christ, and it seems like every time you do, there's someone there that's reminding you who you used to be, and you hate it. What does it look like for you to honestly go to them and say, I know this is who I was, but it's not who I am anymore and not who I want to be. Can you help me to live this out? Choose vulnerability. It might be a close friend. And then the closer you get to that person, the more you start to see the more that you're bumping into their planks or their specks or their missteps, might be how they spend their money. Might, if they have kids, it might be how they raise their kids. Might be even just how they spend their free time. And you're constantly looking for ways to give them advice, even though they haven't asked for any. What would it look like for you to just let that go? To work and be so concerned about having yourself be whole. That's what integrity is holding together. God, I want to be complete. I want to be whole. I want my actions and my intentions 
and my values and my performance to be consistent because I love you, because it's what it means to be in Christ. In Christ, God holds all things together. And then we see and find peace and comfort and joy. Then we have clear sight when asked, do you need help with that speck? To be a healer, be a helper. I think it would be a contagious community. And the great part is, when you're choosing integrity, regardless of where you are, whether it's here, whether it's in your home, whether it's at your work, whether it's out in play, you can be that person, that healer, that spirit-filled one who sees what other people don't see and who can gently offer a healing hand when they need it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for sometimes just pieces of scripture that jump out of the page. This call to, sometimes the call to what not to do is just as helpful as what to do. We pray that we wouldn't be people who are harsh and hypercritical. God, we certainly pray that we wouldn't be people of hypocrisy. But God, let that not bring us to a place of paralyzation or fear. Give us this gracious but helpful standard. To, to evaluate ourselves by. Help us to choose integrity, Lord. To be people that are helpful and that are healers. God, healers by your spirit and your power. Show us where there's planks in our eyes, God. God, help that to be our prayer this week. God, show me where I can't see. And God, give me the boldness to approach your throne of grace so that I can receive and we can receive help in our time of need. God, we love you. We know that we can't live this life in our own strength, and this isn't about living life in our own strength. This is about knowing that we cannot make the standard, that only Christ made the standard, that in order to really, truly live this out, God, we have to surrender ourselves, our mind, our soul, our strength, our everything to you, Jesus the one who lived it perfectly, who died for us and rose again, conquering death. God, that in that power, in that spirit, in that life, that we ourselves have life, that we ourselves can be the healing force with you. That is your kingdom, Lord. That is what we want. Help us to hear you.